0: it is very important to lead with authenticity and, and to be vulnerable um, and, and for your teammates to know that um, your, uh, your commitment to them is real. And I think if you're wired that way and you, and you root for people and you want them to be successful and you can show up in that way,
1: um, you can get through a lot of tough, tough moments. And now, from San Francisco and the UCSF Rosenman Institute, the health technology podcast with your host, Christine Winoto.
2: As our guest Steve Wigginton knows, working successfully in a healthcare industry means having an excellent understanding of human behavior. Today, we talk over just how behavioral psychology affects access to care and why the digital divide continues to exist, plus a good deal more. Steve is currently CEO of iCario, a health action company, and he has over 20 years in the healthcare industry under his belt. Some companies he has worked with include Novi Health, Sutter Health, Balance Health, and Evolon Health. Here's our conversation. Welcome, Steve. Thanks for joining me this afternoon.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: So I thought it would be really great uh, for our uh, listeners to hear a bit of your personal background. Share with us your journey, but that takes you where you are today.
0: Yeah, well, I'm happy to. I um, uh, First off, today I'm the CEO of uh, a company called Acario, um, and uh, we work very closely across both uh, health insurance or payers and uh, providers to help facilitate communications and interactions and actions uh, with the people that they serve. Um, I think providers generally refer to us as patients. Uh, health plans generally refer to us as members. Uh, at Acario, our job is is really to um, help those enterprises communicate with us as people. And I think we all know healthcare as, um, typically not an easy thing to navigate or understand, um, and uh, particularly for populations who are uh, maybe seniors or uh, uh, individuals who are living on Medicaid or, or have Medicaid as their, as their insurance coverage. Um, so I'm uh, leading a, a team of several hundred, and we're um, really pleased and honored to be able to Help deliver an impact uh, in in healthcare in the United States. I uh, I came to Accario um, about a year and a half ago. Uh, Acario is actually a combination of three companies that we've brought together across that time. And uh, the reason I I joined Acario at at what uh, is for me the tail end the latter stages of my career was I saw an opportunity to build a company that really helped. All of the goodness that exists in healthcare be better taken advantage of by those of us that it seeks to serve. And, um, I have a history of a little over 20 years in healthcare in a variety of different settings, most particularly, uh, in behavioral health, uh, in chronic care management or population health as, as it became known, uh, uh, value-based care on the health insurance side. And managing physician networks. And that journey, uh, one thing that was very consistent about that journey for me personally was seeing example after example after example where the enterprise that I was working with or for had created some goodness, some interventional goodness that would improve the health and well being of the people that it was designed to serve. But those people, generally speaking, did not take advantage of it at anywhere near the rates of engagement or uptake that you would have hoped. And so when I say connecting people to the goodness of healthcare and, and, and reference that, that could be things like a diabetic management program or a care coordination nurse or a behavioral health coach. Uh, that might be available virtually, it might be available through a clinic, Um, and, and in every one of those settings across my career, one of the biggest struggles we had was getting people to engage with that goodness, to take advantage of it. And, um, and so as I saw an opportunity to build a company dedicated to solving that problem, um, and and also to apply 20 plus years of, you know, work experience, uh, to building the team and the culture and the products and the services, um, it really was enough to, to Inspire me, uh, and and that's how I got here.
2: So, have you always been in healthcare?
0: I've been in healthcare uh, since really officially since 1999. I hate putting these numbers out there. People are going to do age math, but um, and
2: that's not so bad. That's only twenty
0: years. Ago. <laughs> 20, <laughs> twenty years 20, ago, yeah, <laughs> twenty twenty-two actually, and counting. Um, yeah, I had a, a career uh, before that in uh, software development and technology. Uh, building uh, technology products that solve business problems. One of the technology products that we built uh, in the late '90s uh, with a company that I was a co-founder of was designed to help uh, enterprises that needed to keep track of a lot of information to keep track of it. And uh, and one of the companies that ac- acquired that. A solution was a healthcare business. They ultimately ended up buying our company, and I've been in healthcare ever since.
2: So, how do you make that transition uh, from being in a software? Do you see similarities, or the, the, there's certain things that surprise you when you join the healthcare side of the wall?
0: Well, I've yeah, yes, uh, there are certain things that surprise you. I think one observation I have, having worked both in and with Um, innovative technology, services, device, drug companies across my healthcare career. Very often, these innovations um, are created by people who come from outside of healthcare. And one of the biggest challenges they face is figuring out how uh, decisions get made and new solutions get adopted in healthcare. Uh, I think I don't have math on this, but I think there are many, many um, small companies that have developed innovative solutions that simply could not figure out how healthcare works from a business and, and regulatory standpoint quickly enough uh, for the capital that they had raised. Mm-hmm. And, and it, you know, healthcare is a massive industry. Uh, there are several different faces on that cube. Um, there's the, the provider lens, the, the physician lens, the, the, the hospital administrator lens, the, the insurance company or payer lens. You could go on and on and on. Um, and all of that complexity and all the interlinking of those different perspectives and entities and decision makers, um, can make it very difficult to bring valuable innovations. Whether it's a new product from an established company like Acario or a brand new innovation from a startup, um, understanding how healthcare evaluates uh, and measures the value that that solution is bringing, to me, is the hardest thing to learn uh, when you get into healthcare.
2: And do you think that is a process that you can bring in the right people in, or is this something that you think it takes time for anybody who wants to create the innovation to kind of have to walk the
0: walk to understand it? Um, Can they leapfrog it, I guess? You know, certainly, I think there are a bunch of examples, uh, Christine, where people have been able to hire that experience uh i i hire a chief commercial officer or i i hire a chief medical officer who um, has been inside of an insurance company and understands how they evaluate and select and purchase new ideas or products or services um but uh that is difficult uh it's difficult to listen to those people, when you bring them into very nimble entrepreneurial organizations and they start explaining how hard things are going to be, you know, a lot of times the culture of those um, innovative companies, uh, generally ones that are learning about healthcare as they go, um, they're relatively. Defiant about the, the barriers and the obstacles and the challenges that are unique to healthcare. And, and that's part of why they're entrepreneurs and innovators. Right. And, and so it's they have to suppress the thing that's helped them be successful just a little bit in order to listen to, you know, the sage advice of somebody who's navigated it. And um that's not an easy thing to balance. I don't think there's like a perfect formula for that. Um I will say you see repeat entrepreneurs in healthcare, just like you do in other industries. And mm-hmm. the relationships that you develop across the market, so for example, um if I have relationships with the the um administrators of the adapt program at u c s f and i i I can learn from how they evaluate and what they what they uh value where their priorities are um the next innovation that I try to bring to market, I'm able to build on the hard work I did during the first go round um but it's a it it, it is a well well-known thing that um 10 or 15 years in healthcare in three or four different settings is extremely valuable for understanding how the whole thing fits together and yet you could still be completely naive to for example how do drugs uh come to market or how are yeah. med devices uh approved and launched because you may have spent most of your time in the other two parts of the uh, of the market so it's um but as i said at the outset it's huge and yeah and innovation keeps coming and um you know there's nothing like a large and growing market yeah
2: i would think maybe that's why you don't see a 20 years old starting a healthcare company usually yeah.
0: <laughs> you what what i've observed uh and i would never bet against a super smart driven 20 year old on anything uh but what i have observed is that the lack of industry depth um tends to cause a little bit of oversimplification of the problem that's being solved which leads to you know potentially a feature or maybe a product mm. but not necessarily a company
2: yeah so, which I think is a good segue to for us to talk about Icario. You mentioned it's like a uh, multiple companies combined. Right. Tell us about the genesis of it and why that was the you know, what was the thinking to bring all this company together to create the Icario. Yeah.
0: Well, um, you know, just picking up where we where we just were, I mean the the market. The health insurance market, which is the largest portion of our customer base, our insurers like United or Blue Cross Blue Shield of Rhode Island or um, uh, Centene in the Medicare and Medicaid markets. Um, it's a relatively consolidated end market. So s- set in a less fancy way. There's a fairly limited number of customers who are very, very large <laughs> and have a disproportionate share of the market of individuals. And so, as we studied the work that the three predecessor companies that we brought together to form Acario did, one observation was those, ven- those health pay- payers, those health insurance companies, are, have vendor fatigue. They have so many point solution vendors across their portfolio, across their geographies, across their lines of business, many of which are overlapping. They're not exactly the same, but they might be solving the same core business problem in slightly different ways. And it creates uh, management and administrative challenges for, for, the, for our customers, the end customer, the payer. Um, it creates inefficiencies. Uh, you know, it puts it puts drag on on the IT and administrative organization to support all of these entities. Um, and it makes it hard to attribute results because you might have two or three vendor partners working on one core business problem and each of them claiming credit for some share of the progress. And so one thing we saw to answer your question was that scale in healthcare matters. That your ability to solve four or five or six problems that are adjacent to one another in the eyes of the customer is highly preferred uh, by the market. Uh, it's it's in certain parts of the market we, we see that this consolidation and maturation has already occurred. Um, there are very few number of um, well, for example, in in on the provider side in the EMR or EHR market, you know, there's. There's Epic, uh, you know, there's Cerner, and then there's a handful of small specialty firms, but um, nobody wants three EMRs, uh, not on purpose. Right. Um, so systems of record, systems of execution, you know, you ideally would want standardization. So that's one thing we saw. And, and the benefit of bringing the businesses together, lots of client overlap. Uh, two of the three businesses were working extensively, for example, with one of our largest customers, and we're now able to put a whole team of people against that relationship who understand the full set of priorities of our customer and bring the full set of solutions across the three predecessor companies to bear against those those problems. And we still have miles to travel, to be clear, to make it as seamless for our customers as we would like to. But the feedback from the market has been very strong that um, there is a preference for... Entities of scale who can simplify uh, working with you, w- w- working with that vendor uh, in the market. Um, the other thing that we saw was, uh, again, speaking a little bit to scale, is our ability to uh, challenge, develop, and grow our teammates, our employees um, with the with a little more size um, is a real advantage from a talent perspective and a cult- per- culture perspective. So if I'm in a small, innovative business with 100 employees. Um, I'm wearing four or five hats. But the chance to take on management of, say, a team might not materialize for quite some time because the business is not necessarily at scale. And so th- th- that's the second thing we saw was, was it's good for our customers, but it's also really good for our employees to be able to work across a broader set of problems, work with a, a larger, more talented team, Across that broad set of problems, and have a, the resources, the focus, and the organizational commitment to help them keep growing. Um, uh, one of our core values actually is keep growing, and, and and there's a lot of meaning around that. Obviously, we want to grow the business, but we also want our employees to grow, both personally and professionally. And that was the other thing we saw, uh, uh, you know, very quickly as we as we started to bring these businesses together, was we were able to sustain investment against that. And then the third piece, so customers, for sure, our team, our employees, for sure, we saw benefit for them. But also just on the people we serve, Um, we're able to, the the individual human beings that we're able to reach out to. And, you know, I get these stories every week. Uh, Thank you for inspiring me to go get a, a colon cancer screening because the test came back with results that have now caused me to go schedule a colonoscopy. And I would never have done that if you hadn't prodded me to take that test. Um, you know, that like the more of that you can do, like the easier it is to come to work in the morning. Cause that's ultimately what it is all about is being able to, to nudge people, entice people, activate people, get information from them that, that our clients can then use to serve those individuals. Um, and the, the more individuals we impact, the more our mission is fulfilled, the more great, talented people want to come work with us. Um, and so, the, I don't know, it's just, uh, there's a lot more probably I could go into, but those are probably the big three,
1: the mission, the team, and the customers. That's great. This podcast is sponsored by brown Rutnik's Global Life Sciences Group a team of legal professionals that help life science companies, lenders, and investors around the world turn good science into good business. Learn more at brownrudnick.com. This podcast is also sponsored by Canon Quality Group. Canon Quality Group has been helping medtech startups set up quality management systems for over 10 years. If you're unsure when to get started with quality management in your startup, turn to the experts at canonqualitygroup.com.
2: I think this is also a good time to maybe for you to share with us, like, what is a cardio product technology yeah. and how it's impacting? Like you briefly mentioned about um, nudging the, the member or the patient to make, keep, keep them healthier. So but if you can tell us what it is, I think that would be yeah, great.
0: Absolutely. So um, there are several facets to our business. Maybe I'll start with the problem in the eyes of our customer. In the eyes of our customer, they are tasked with, you know, uh, paying for care, uh, if you want to look at it in the simplest terms, for people who have their insurance coverage. So Blue Shield of California or uh, United, Um, those payers have uh, a responsibility to deliver an overall health outcome within a budget, effectively. Uh, on behalf of government programs, which is the largest part of our business. So think Medicare Advantage for seniors mm-hmm. or, um, you know, managed Medicaid in, in California, MediCal, um, where one of the requirements on those, our customers, those payers, is that they make sure that the individuals that they are insuring are getting a breast cancer screening, if that is what is clinically indicated every two years for a certain population. Or if you're a senior, that you're getting an annual wellness visit, which is covered by your health insurance. There is no reason not to do it. It it often will uncover early opportunities to improve your long-term health and well-being. And yet, many, many, many seniors don't go take advantage of the annual wellness visit. So, our customers come to Acario and they say, listen, here's a list. Please get these people to do these things that we have not been able to get them to do. Um, do it in our name, use our brand, but use your special sauce uh, to do that. Uh, we also uh, spend a lot of time on behalf of our customers getting information from their members. So uh, as of for instance, uh, for certain populations, it is a requirement by CMS that the health plan get a health risk assessment conducted annually on everybody they cover or a certain percentage. Um, it's a hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do technically to manage uh, and execute on that. And so our customers will come to us and say, please go secure health risk assessment information from these 1 million members. Um, Give us that information back so then we can act on it. If it's someone says I have depression, I can refer them to a behavioral health specialist. So those are the two biggest parts of our business, activating people to do things generally preventative, not always, but generally preventative in nature, uh, screenings, exams, things of that nature, and or capturing information, which then goes back into the, the insurance plans, program design and network design. Uh, where we can do that better than anyone else uh, really falls into three core pillars or, or leans on three core pillars, I should say. Uh, first, behavioral science is a real thing. <laughs> Understanding mm-hmm. what motivates, what inspires, you know, what creates hesitancy and embedding that deeply into what you say, how you say it, what you write, how you write it, what you offer. Maybe I offer you a $50 gift card if you'll agree to go get a colonoscopy because you haven't had one for three straight years and you're supposed to have one. Um, understanding all of those drivers of human behavior, being deeply embedded in our in the design of, of the work we do uh, is one key component and, and something that we continue. Obviously, that work never ends. It's like uh, honing a, a knife's edge. We, we are continually trying to understand from the data we get every day uh, how that does or does not square with our underhand, understanding of behavioral science and apply it to to the work we do number two is we, we are incredibly committed to personalization and personalization as a a bucket shows up a lot of ways. We go buy consumer data, for example, much like a consumer marketing company would do, so that we can understand for the individuals we're twi- try- trying to reach you know a bet- getting a better understanding of who they are. Um, the decisions they make in their lives, and how to take that understanding and tailor the outreach that we're doing to take advantage of that understanding. Another example around personalization, um, you, you know, to be fully buzzword compliant here, artificial intelligence coupled with machine learning. You do 15, we were going to do this year, 15 million outreaches to different members across the country for our, you know, health plan customers. Uh, you learn a lot when you call somebody and then you email them and then they come to the website and do what you've asked versus when you mail them and you call them and you email them, the sequence, the timing, the gaps. There's a lot that machine learning uh, can do to make that more efficient. And then the last thing, which I sort of mentioned here, but the last piece, the last pillar for us or the third pillar for us is around Being truly sort of channel agnostic. So, if you would prefer to text, if you would prefer to go to a website, if you would prefer to get an email, if you would prefer to have someone call you, uh, and if you look across a population of 15 million people, you're going to see every preference under the sun. In fact, you're going to see people who would say, I prefer you mail me something. I'm a senior. I like to get a package in the mail. And then I want to call you. Or, I want to go to your website. And being able to support all of those permutations and not really care, and then use, as I mentioned, machine learning to optimize the sequence, that multi-channel capability has proven to be really important. Again, particularly in Medicare Advantage, Manage Medicaid, these are populations that, you know, people are not sitting at their desks at work with high-speed internet, uh, you know, getting an email to come to the yoga class at lunchtime. This is a different population, creating a different set of challenges and the ability to support a bunch of different channels is really important. That last point sort of highlights something just to tie back to what we were talking about before about sort of the challenge of healthcare. You know, if somebody comes out tomorrow and says, I have the ability to send a video visit reminder via TikTok to all of your members, the actual practice, it's interesting technically, congratulations, but like how many of my members was that going to work on? And then am I going to go work with you as a TikTok content vendor just for that? And then I've still got the majority of my population. If they don't get something in the mail, they're not even sure it's legit. Being able to balance uh, multi-channel and, and understand that, yeah, I may be able to do something neat, but, but for our end customers, it's also got to work for the super majority of the population. And That's a little part of the challenge that we talked about earlier.
2: I think, how do you, uh, uh, like you're saying, that many of the population that you're serving, they are not sitting in front of high-speed internet, yet a lot of the technology that we have, it makes uh, getting engagement from these people easier. Like you have the machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence, How do you bridge that divide yet getting all of them engaged in the right way?
0: Yeah, well, Acario alone is not going to solve what in the industry is called the digital divide um, alone. We're not going to solve that. We can contribute and we are contributing. Um, We're working on a couple of different projects now where... Um, well-branded nationally known internet providers um, y- there are there are federal funds available there's a variety of innovative programs that uh, i know comcast particularly is uh, has an internal investment initiative to you know give back to the community with low-cost internet one of the things we're doing is reaching out to members and letting them know that this is available on behalf of our health plan customers we also see our health plan customers investing in it so I'll give you just a quick example. If I have a home, uh, you know, a a homebound MA member, a senior, um, I would really like them, you know, to connect with their care management nurse uh, once a week for 30 minutes, but I can't get a hold of them. And I certainly can't go see them. If I can get them on a decent connection and do it via video that's a real enabler. Um, and so we are seeing some of our health plan customers actually put money against that. Like, okay, I'm going to, I'm actually going to pay for your internet, uh, because, because that way I can, I can help you and I can't help you if I can't contact you. But it's a, it's an issue. It's, you know, I think we've continued to see that, um, digital divide show up in the poor, um, you know, certainly, uh, I think a lot of seniors are very internet savvy, but they, you know, may not have a lot of trust for something that's mm-hmm. coming over the internet and and certainly email right. and things of that nature. So uh, that's a lot of what our clients challenge us with: is we cannot assume that everybody's going to go log in. So we need to touch them through whatever channel is going to work, and you, Acario, need to be capable of doing that, and that's. The part of the complexity of our business, but it's also part of the value that we solving that complexity is good for our customers.
2: And how do you measure your increased engagement? If, well, I guess you have a lot of the the internet that is uh, track. You get the you you kind of measure that traction, but how do you share with with the your customer the payers? how much engagement that really resulted from your
0: outreach? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's uh, arguably the most important thing you can do in healthcare is uh, measure and communicate the incremental value that you are creating as, as a company. Um, you know, if I, if I launch a medical device that reduces the, intensity of a surgery such that it can go from inpatient to outpatient, then I know that that device, if properly used, is worth, call it a $15,000 savings because I just avoided an overnight inpatient stay. I'm just using, you know, simple, oversimplified Mm -hmm. numbers. Um, And Acario is no different. We we have to continually think about how are we creating value and how do we demonstrate that to our customers. Um, in some parts of our business, it's quite easy. So we will be given a list, as I mentioned earlier, let's say we get a list of 12,000 seniors from one of the Blue Cross Blue Shield plans that has a Medicare Advantage plan. None of those 12,000 seniors have had an annual wellness visit for two or more years. That's why we get the list. If they're compliant and they go every year, they you know nobody needs us to reach out. But for those that are non-compliant, that's that's what we get. And you can see when somebody gets a wellness visit because, A, they tell you yeah. they're going to do it. And almost 90 percent of the time when somebody says they're going to go do something, they actually do. And then B, you can actually see the claim come through two or three or four months mm-hmm. later, whenever it actually gets billed and, and paid that says, hey, Steve Wigginton had a wellness visit. So there's a a lot of attribution that's available on things like that. Uh, another example is, I mentioned this earlier, collecting health risk assessments, HRAs, uh, in certain government programs in certain states for Medicaid, they're required. Uh, of course, you can't get 100% of your membership. You can't get 100% of your membership to do anything, but you certainly can't get 100% of them to take the time uh, to complete that information, whether it's during a phone call or online or on paper or however you you try to get it. Um but there are, po- there are percent completion rates that have significant economic impact to the health plan. If I'm at 50% versus 60% versus 70%, the reimbursement I'm getting on a per-member basis goes up. And so, again, highly measurable. How many files did you send me that were complete? Out of a million members, did you get 760,000 HRAs done or not? I did. Okay, that's 76%. So. Um, Those parts are highly measurable. The ones that are more difficult are around things like satisfaction or member experience. Um, A lot of our clients are now um, running programs where we reach out. Again, it's all white labeled. So we reach out on behalf of Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Rhode Island um, to, to understand what your experience has been like as a member of that plan. How was it when you called into the call center? How easy it has it been for you to get an appointment with your physician, et cetera, et cetera. That information then comes back into the plan, and then they use that information to, for example, go see the head of the call center and say, hey, I'm getting a lot of complaints. And this mm-hmm. is gonna hurt us. We have dissatisfied members, they're gonna leave us. Uh they're they're gonna vote with their feet. And the the return on investment connection is less clear in those examples, but it's still a focus. Um how many did we send? How many did we hit? How, you know, how many followed through? Um, all of that, uh, is a real big focus for the company. One, one other thing I'll just say on, on the value and measuring and reporting on the value. And this goes back to your earlier question about, you know, why healthcare is hard and so on. Um, one of the hardest things to put a number next to is, uh, I, I as the vendor, Say to you as the customer, this thing that didn't happen didn't happen because of something I did. And if you stop to think about that, so um, I sent out a hundred thousand of these at home colon cancer screening kits. Four thousand people, five thousand people had results worthy of a colonoscopy. Five hundred of them had polyps that were removed. There is math you could do there that says, well, those polyps quite likely would have become colon cancer if unchecked, and by getting it mm-hmm. identified earlier, it was a simple treatment. Like there is math you can do, but it's it's math that's very easy to poke holes in, um, and and it makes it really hard to to take credit for avoiding future healthcare expense. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of businesses, a lot of businesses that have been built on that. Uh, to be clear, including some that I've been a part of. But it's it is a real challenge. Um, yeah. This work that we're doing is, this work that we're doing is is helping peop is helping to avoid future costs. Um, it it's just tough. It's really tough. Yeah
2: no i i i don't i it looks like we are r- sure on time, but before you leave, I really want to ask you uh my last question um, if you can give us three lessons learned that you think is important uh in running a company and growing the company that you can share
0: boy, only three <laughs> <laughs> I could give you three from this morning to be honest, but yeah, I think um well one running a company um one lesson that anyone who's thinking about doing that or who is doing that will already know is that um it is a job that not that you never get to turn off. Um and appreciating that it is the probably other than maybe the CFO it is the one job in the company where uh, everything good and everything bad that happens is going to land on your doorstep at some point point. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know your ability to lead through that when you're um, when, you know when you're dealing with information for example that you didn't want to get that's it never it never shuts off that's that's one lesson that's um, maybe something that anybody who's going to do that would take with them into the front door um, there's there's no way to avoid it. It's just something to be very aware of. I think a second lesson is uh, if you have great people around you who have a shared uh, belief in the mission, uh, you, you have a decent chance to be successful, but it's all about the people around you. Um, I, I have never been one who believed I had all the answers, but I've certainly seen that uh, amongst my peer group. And I've never seen it work for a long time. I've seen it work for a little time, but not for a long time. So I think it's, you know, number two would be it's really about the people um, and having great people, but also aligned around a mission that everybody can feel passionate about. Uh, certainly in healthcare, that's one of the greatest things about working in healthcare. Doesn't almost doesn't matter what the company is. Generally speaking, these are companies that are trying to help people. Um, and and help people live healthier lives, longer lives, better lives, fight disease. So I think that's number two is around people. I think number three is you know it is very important to lead with authenticity and and to be vulnerable, um, and and for your teammates to know that um, you are. Uh, your commitment to them is real. And I think if you're wired that way and you and you root for people and you want them to be successful and you can show up in that way, um, you can get through a lot of tough, tough moments.
2: There are a lot of tough moments when you're starting a company, definitely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and thanks for sharing your story and your insight and uh, keep up the great work.
0: Well, thanks
1: for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. thank you for listening to another episode of the health technology podcast we want to thank our executive producer herminio Neto, and our podcast engineer andrew rojek if you enjoyed this podcast be sure to subscribe and leave a review the health technology podcast is available on all major platforms